Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coffee Science Guru. Um, I am, of course, your host, producer, show owner. Excuse me. <laughs> show, pony, show. show pony. <laughs> show pony. Oh, no, good. That's what it says on our um, hosting platform. I'm the show owner. So. Ah, well, there you um, go. All rights belong to me. Mm. Uh, those voices you heard were, of course, Dr. Adam Carr. Hey, ho. And Mr. Julian Marriott Britton. Hello again. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about coffee, surprising no one, and how it affects health. Lots Co- of strange rumors that go around regarding to coffee and health a lot of trends kind of kind of working around diet trends in general in the uh general public low fat diets high fat diets look i mean it seems it seems very much like in in i don't know the greater media it's you know people publish and i'm not intending on this moving into a political sphere but people tend to publish anything that's going to raise hysteria or try and calm people or whatever happens to not jelly not calm people yeah. raise hysteria i would say generally so you get a lot of sensational headlines about all, coffee we, new research suggests cancer is the number one and of cause course, of death so in people as, in high as befits the item which is the second biggest thing entering world trade after oh world. yeah well absolutely you can right. imagine how much stuff is constantly yeah. being published oh, exactly yeah, the exactly. conspiracy yeah absolutely all the illuminati um We've all we're all on Facebook. We've seen the the headlines, yeah. And we've we know that we're probably guilty of reading the headline and taking a big guess at what is said in the article and moving on, it's just scrolling straight past it. Um, so we're here to prove everyone wrong. Wow, or at least shed some light <laughs> onto some things. We don't know everything. That's right. Bold claims here at Coffee Science Guru today. We are right <laughs> today in talking about coffee and health. All right, so coffee. What What is in coffee? Everyone kind of talks about coffee and caffeine. Our last podcast was on caffeine in coffee specifically. Mm. Um, and caffeine is probably the big topic that comes up or what people think of when we talk about coffee and health because caffeine is considered to be a drug, which is a bit of a loaded term, I guess. Um, but coffee is full of... A lot of other things mm. which is why it tastes so nice yeah right well it just tastes like caffeine we wouldn't drink it right I mean, i've got a book in front of me here that's got you know, it's entitled coffee flavor chemistry and it's a you know it's a riveting read um by yvonne flament but if you go through it there's about we just estimated about three and a half thousand different chemicals in roasted coffee yep. um that you'd most likely be drinking on a daily basis mm. um you know those chemicals all classed in a whole range of different sort of well, i guess classes you've got your pyridines your furans Indoles, ketones, aldehydes, <laughs> all those things sound rather scary, but a lot of them are actually responsible for the positive flavours and negative flavours yeah. that you may or may not get inside coffee. And you know, well, that yeah, can scare some people off. Know, uh, how many uh, you know, individual ingredients are present in a carrot? Mm, yeah, right. For right. instance. Right. Except it's quite a lot. Yeah, there are. There are. I think it's probably in the order of, well, I wouldn't want to say hundreds. I don't actually know. Mm. Yeah. But when you start roasting something, um, so this is what I was doing at MIT for a little bit, actually. We looked at um, the decomposition of individual species. And if you think that, um, you know, when you start, let's sort, let's call it roasting. It's not really roasting. But if you start roasting any single compound in crude oil, let's call it octane. I think people might be familiar with octane. Mm-hmm. You get about 10,000 reactions with about 5,000 reaction intermediates. When you think that that's what's happening to one molecule, put 500 molecules into a roaster and then roast it up, you can imagine how many reactions and how many products may or may not be formed from that um, I suppose that, that series of reactions. applies to anything that you cook. As soon as you start oh, cooking it, exactly it releases right. all sorts yeah. of stuff. 
yep. which uh, might not be noticeable in any other form. Oh, exactly right. I mean, that's what you see in brown. That's why it turns from you know what it is, the dough into the you yep. know that white and brown crust. Yeah, so outside. it's, it's a whole easy, range of different chemical reactions. Easy for us to check what's inside a green bean and what's inside a roasted bean, but not necessarily how to check what's happening. During the roast? During the roasting. Oh, there are ways. There are ways. Maybe we won't go into it here. Stopping and starting roast. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there are, there's um, there's a method that's been developed recently. Um, uh, proton, it's called PTRMS, Proton Transfer Reaction Mass Spectrometry, which gives a real-time readout on the chemistry that's happening, on some of the chemistry yeah. that's happening inside coffee over time. It relies on a couple of different things for it to work. But anyway, we won't, I won't go into that. But um, yeah, we can tell. But, um, you know, generally, we do have a pretty good idea over the last hundred years of analyzing coffee chemistry what is inside of a roasted bean, and a lot of what's inside of a green bean as well. We don't know absolutely everything, but we know yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, yeah we've, we've found us specifically. We yeah. got some coffee that was ran through a mass spectrometer. Right, and we quantified, we quantified four flavors. We quantified, um, what was it? We quantified 2-methylpyrazine, which is responsible for the roasted chocolate flavor in coffee. Um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember that. Furinone. Which I believe is responsible for the red fruits in coffee. You quantified caffeine as you have to do when you're doing coffee. Mm-hmm. And for an, oh, that's right, furanil, I think was the one actually. The other one, I think that maybe the yeah. that's the one responsible for red berries and also vanillin, which vanillin, is multi vanilla, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, caramel sometimes depends on its quantity as yeah. to how you perceive its flavour. Hmm. Yeah. So we did all those. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff including one of those things in California that we're talking about a little while. Yeah, so acrylamide. Acrylamide, yeah. Acrylamide, Mm. acrylamide. Mm. Uh, So recently, over the last few years, up until um, this year, actually, there has been a particular group of people who were suing the state of California over not providing a warning on roasted coffee products that it may contain a carcinogen called acrylamide. Um, It was... So basically, from what I understand, in California, there is a list of 70-something carcinogens that if you are selling... If you are of a business of more than 10 employees, specifically, and you sell something that has one of the one or more of these carcinogens in it you need to provide a warning on the label um and they have successfully sued places like burger king for it in the past um and essentially came for people like starbucks and uh roasters and franchises and stuff like that for not doing it um they ended up deciding that they don't need to do it because it's in such small quantities uh, that they just didn't think it was worth the bother. But you know, it's not. It's one of those ones. Like anytime, you, as Julian was mentioning earlier, anytime you cook something, these kinds of chemicals are produced. So yeah. you get chemicals like benzene, toluene, xylene, xanthine, naphthalene, all these kind of chemicals that can produce can you know can induce cancer or you know yeah it make your body start producing stuff that it really shouldn't be producing. Yeah, um, you know those kinds of things. Do so, exist so no in almost anything. We see this happy label. We said this label may kill you. And we hope it yes, will. That's right. It's one of those <laughs> ones. Actually, when I first did a did, first did a run of um, as well as the thing. Actually, when I was developing my roasting process, I was I did a GCMS just to see all the different compounds that are in there. Quite a few in there. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't drink that. Yeah. It was in its pure form. In fact, I've got that chemical right there that I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to wear gloves mm. and a mask. And, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's the thing, though. It's in such minute quantities. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, you stay out in the sun for long enough, it's going to do worse damage than drinking 20 litres of coffee. And in fact, actually, speaking of coffee and health and that kind of thing, <laughs> I did actually do a computation to determine what the lethal dose of caffeine, which is one of the highest yeah. things you can get in. There are other stuff in there, of course, but I think it was 20 litres of coffee you're required to drink to actually mm. kill you. I think oh, filter coffee or like of 20 litres of oh, like well, shots I mean, of espresso? I guess 20 like litres of filter coffee. Yeah, it wouldn't be 20 litres of espresso. That would probably, I'd yeah, say that would be, be a lot more... Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah. I'd probably half that amount for espresso. I'd imagine ten yeah. liters. But I mean, I'd, I'd hazard to find anyone who would want to drink ten liters of espresso. Yeah, I don't coffee. think you could physically hold. Yeah, I think that much. Yeah. Well, it would in be the, over a reasonable time period of needed. time. You yeah. Would have thought. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, you'd probably metabolize it yeah. through quicker. Yeah, but that number's found through the LD50s that you get um, on those online sites. So every every single compound, every pure chemical compound's got a what's called MSDS, a material safety data sheet, where um, some humble scientists in some lab subware have, you know, fed a bunch of this kind of stuff to rats and determined how, at what point, fifty percent of the population dies based on that level of exposure, yeah. which is a horrible thing to do, really. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, extremely useful to know <laughs> when something's going to be harmful, yeah, or not. Um, um, yeah, mm. it's it's interesting having worked in cafes for a long time, um, hearing the general public's kind of point of view on coffee and health. Like I've I've had people who roast coffee come up to me and tell me that, obviously not out of the blue, but um, say that, you know, the the first part of an espresso, the, the really dark, rich part is is bad for you. Um, or it's, it's the it's tastiest bit. For you or, or just coffee in general is bad for you, just like blatantly not, not good for you. Well, then don't drink it. Yeah. And what are you here for? Well, and, it, and it's like, <laughs> I they clearly haven't read scientific journal article on it and it's just kind of spread from word of mouth but you know the other thing is when you read these scientific journals I mean anytime so even in this morning's newspaper right there was an ABC article talking about how what is it I think the title was coffee doesn't kill you or coffee here we go coffee doesn't increase cancer risk researchers find Mm. Um, and this is the result of a massive study that's gone on for many many years I think what was it Julian 300,000 coffee drinkers and you know in these kinds of situations while it's like I want to believe them in many ways you think about how difficult it is to determine whether or not something specifically kills you I mean you think about how much data and how many people how many different lifestyles each person has and is the reason that person either died or had that kind of condition before them is that because of coffee specifically or is that because of the fact they're also heavy meat eater is it also well, a fact right. that I mean, they are vegetarian or excessive consumption of just about anything is is likely to lead to a poor health outcome mm. yeah right right absolutely so you just got to ask yourself i mean it's yeah <laughs> I mean, it's one of those i like to, i'd love to be able to put some sort of conclusive statement as to whether it does or it doesn't yeah. i mean it's it's a complex thing to try and do, and I respect the people that are trying to do it. In this case, what is it, Professor Stuart McGregor, uh, doing this kind of stuff? Yeah, and um, it's it's one of those things where it's like, what works for one person might not work for another, depending mm. on your unique anatomy or physiology uh, or yeah. your susceptibility to caffeine or what other things you consume in your diet, what time of day you drink coffee. That kind of thing. These are all things that have... Yeah. It's interesting actually you say that because there was a paper that I read, well, it was almost exactly last year, 19th of June 2018 is when I put this out there. It was um, research that was done by the Department of Defense that linked um, caffeine consumption um, to genetic tolerance or genetic, I guess, capability of processing it. Yeah. And it's an interesting one where they obviously eventually, I think initially they were trying to find out, so what was the peak... When do you get the most effect out of caffeine in general? So obviously the Department of Defense cares about that. Maybe you can read into why 
you may or may not want to be giving espressos to your, your armed forces. <laughs> it used um, to be rum, so it used to be rum. <laughs> it used to be rum. Turns out caffeine was better for him. Last over legal drug. Over the top. <laughs> Sometimes, I <laughs> <it's> both. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's the thing. I mean, in the end, for them, I think they're found generally between 9 and 10 a.m. generally, but it actually you really have to have a model run it for you based on your genetic tolerance, your genetic code, your unique genetic signature, and then they can tell you exactly when you should be having it, which is yeah. very, very cool. Um, also a little bit worrying, but yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as no one tells me that I can't drink coffee until nine o'clock in the morning. Well, that's the other thing, when, right? When how, I get to work at six thirty. How much of it is also a conditioning <laughs> thing, right? Because your body's an amazing thing. Like your body can get, you can condition your body to a whole lot of different things that most yeah. people wouldn't be able to do on a regular basis. Like I drink three coffees a day. Is that too much? Some people would say yes. Yeah. Some people would say no. Um, myself, do I feel the caffeine as much as I did back when first year uni when I just had one? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, um, I like I can attest to working in incredibly busy cafes with lots of different coffees on offer and having to try all of them in the morning to dial them in and throughout the day and getting to the point which I'd never had in my life where I could just drink coffee up until the mm. late hours of the mm. night um, and go home and sleep and have a fine sleep. So <laughs> performance enhancement, specifically in sports, um, caffeine has been yeah. uh, or debated depending on whether it's the Olympics or... Iron Man challenges, what have you, on its effects and whether it is, should be defined as a performance-enhancing drug uh, and therefore shouldn't be used by professional athletes or if it's something that is fine and it's not so performance-enhancing that it's a non-issue. It's an interesting one, that one, actually, that question, just thinking about it. I don't have any data on any... I mean, I've seen some stuff talking about how it can improve metabolism and it can get, you know, fatty acids back into the body, degraded as, oh, sorry, fats back into fatty acids and redissolved into your bloodstream and so on and so forth. But I'm not, but then, you know, you think about there are some counterindicators that may not be so good for sport. For example, heart rate. Yeah. You may find that caffeine increases your heart rate beyond a certain point that is optimum for performance. Yeah. So maybe it's as helpful as it is hindering. It's hard yeah. to know, and I don't know. I'm not actually a sports physician or anything like yeah. that. But you can imagine that anything will have its upsides or its downsides. Um, I believe I'm right in saying that there are tests done on all athletes in terms of mm. the quantity of caffeine in yeah. their bloodstream yeah. before they take part in in, in their particular sport. Yes. And there was the well-known case of the fencer who was banned uh, from, from competing uh, in the Olympics uh, around 20 years ago for that very reason. Because of two, caffeine. He'd had two cups of coffee before he uh, yeah, went interesting. To, to do his stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I have in front of me an article from 2014 um, just from the Atlantic um, that goes into some details of what people in Ironman competitions were doing. So a company called Cliff Bar that do like protein bars and muesli bars and that kind of stuff have a product that is essentially a gel that you can take that has a certain amount of caffeine in it. Um, so people who are doing these really long marathons would take them at different amounts at different times in the race um, so where does it say uh, to integrate caffeine into her race day nutrition plan before the race she usually takes a gel with 50 milligrams of caffeine then on the biking leg she takes 50 milligrams per hour and that increases later in the race um, another it does sound like it's a performance enhancing drug well, it has, does, isn't it? this is considered yeah. acceptable is it? yeah I know that well, sounds I like mean, it's very much 20, a, 2014 and not 
I mean, the Ironman competitions are different regulatory bodies and everything. I, I yeah, regardless, it just doesn't. Mm. It seems like it's the thing is with that kind of thing, right? You got to say how much of that sporting or not. Like it's one thing, for example, the Tour de France to, and this is again, this is probably taking away from what our, we're trying to talk about today. I guess coffee and health. But you think about like at the end of a at the end of a bike race, you know, have a big bowl of pasta hmm. you know, it's one thing to eat the right diet carbs and all those kinds of things you've got to eat something anyway we've determined that eating this is the right way of doing it you know that seems acceptable even though you could argue that if you've got the science behind it you probably are doing performance enhancement based on modification of this that the other thing not everyone's eating the same diet um, but at the same time when you start injecting you know talking about drug you know levels inside your body especially something like mm. caffeine which is you know not that harmful but i don't know that's it's just not sporting right I think the idea is... Not cricket, No, it's not cricket. Thank you, Julian. I'm glad someone said it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just not the way that it you know, should yeah, be. Yeah. It's about the peak human achievement, not necessarily because of... Anyway, that's something yeah. else entirely. Maybe yeah. I won't talk same, about it too much. Not qualified. Not same, a qualified same philosopher. Ar- same article. A man, a physician from Belgium called Peter uh, Fervoort has studied caffeine in athletes in Antwerp. He said many athletes in his study, doses of 200 to 350 milligrams were not helpful especially in hot weather he's also competed in Ironman uh, he doesn't take caffeine he just drinks Coca-Cola in the last 20 kilometers you know you ask yourself you know <laughs> why why are we focused on caffeine and coffee and I think you know you know it's one of those things there are so many other compounds in coffee chlorogenic acids and you know a whole host of different things many of which actually have at some level a therapeutic activity in the body and when I say therapeutic activity that means they have an actual medicinal impact yeah. um, look they're not drugs in truth, I don't think they're drugs until they're hyper-concentrated and they're put into a form that people can generally take without experiencing a lot of side effects. Um, but we think, we think we talk about, you know, coffee and caffeine are synonymous, and it's a pretty good reason. If you look at a chromatogram of coffee, the level of caffeine relative to every single other, every single other compound in coffee is dramatically different. It's huge. The yeah. peak is immense. Um, there's a lot more of it in there. So I think it's actually quite justified to say, you know, if we're talking about drugs and coffee, we're talking about caffeine. Yeah. It's probably why there's a lot of focus on it. In fact, most of the research that I've done and the things that I've written actually all, all focus around caffeine specifically. Um, so anyway, maybe that needs to be a little bit qualified there. Yeah, I to go back to the carcinogenic thing for a second because I have a great quote that I wanted to say uh, by Robert Weinberg, an oncologist at the Massachusetts Institute of... It's a lot of S's in that one. Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, he said coffee is connected to cancer development by the fact that coffee is sometimes drunk by living people and only living people develop cancer. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. good perspective. <laughs> you live long enough. What is it? Um, cancer is the disease of a healthy nation. I'm not sure who said that, but um, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Or what's the the life is the highest cause of death? Uh, well, uh, that's the reality. It's 100 <laughs> people die. I mean, that's that's the statistic. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. No one really wants to go from getting, you know, overbearing cancer, that's for sure. Yeah. In fact, Julian, you had a thought about that, actually, in terms of cancer development and coffee. We're talking about esophageal. Were you and I talking about esophageal Well, we were earlier on, yes. It's just that uh, it would seem that uh, not only the consumption of caffeine in coffee, but also the temperature at which uh, coffee Mm. and other beverages are drunk uh, tend to uh, affect the the upper part of the throat and Mm. therefore the esophagus um, much more so than in other parts of the body. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, I, th- I think it's been suggested that there are a lot of people who have died as a result of long-term drinking of, of very hot beverages, including coffee. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's uh, something to be noted. Is that like because you're essentially like having burns consistently? Um, 
Yeah, well, that like or causing, something causing very, trauma, which that or something very close to it. Yeah. I, I've yeah. been in the habit of drinking lukewarm coffee and tea for a very, very long time. Yeah. Mm. Not only because I brew tea and put a tea cozy on it and let it, you know, stew for so long that it has by nature mm. therefore cooled down, <laughs> um, but also if I pour out a very hot cup of tea or coffee, I wait for it to cool down to the point where I can actually taste it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I find I do that quite a lot too. Yeah. Things, things like soup, I'll have hot. Mm like to the point of almost being too hot but yeah. things like coffee like i'll get here in the morning pour out a cup of batch brew that's still hot yeah. and then it sits there for a, a while mostly because i get distracted and forget it's there mm. and then partly because if it's fresh out of the pot i just like can't bring myself to sip it yeah there's a temperature know? point below which it then loses uh, all sorts of interesting flavors yeah. and so on but yeah. Yeah. So somewhere in that middle ground it seems to me yeah so that like warm, warm maybe it's 65 degrees celsius zone the goldilocks zone which is why we get our coffee our uh, espresso and milk based drinks to that although i think that's more got to do with milk curdling and yeah. milk uh, milk scalding than it actually has to do yeah. with them um, i'm probably yeah. drinking desirable more, temperature i'm probably drinking it more like 45 to 50 yeah right right um, yeah it's still quite warm and we're back uh, what were we talking about? Bulletproof oh, butter. we're talking about no, 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 no. Moving beyond butter, I don't really talk about butter in a coffee podcast. Yeah, although I love butter, and I haven't had but, lunch um, yet. Yeah, no, we're talking about going back to coffee as well, and talking about specific things. So we talked a bit about you know potential health benefits, some of which are spurious, some of them may make some sense. Yeah. Tell us about cold brew, Adam. Um, cold brew. Oh, I want to talk about cold brew now. Oh, I was going to talk about something else. All right, I cold th- brew. I thought you were already segueing into no, that. No, no. Well, there are a number of things we could segue to here, but cold brew. Yeah. So we did a little bit of research onto cold brew, and so there's some stuff out there that's saying cold brew is better for you because at the lower temperatures yeah i hear a lot about um, lower acidity too yeah lower acidity it's got to do with lower ph value but mm-hmm. you know you go online you do a little bit of research and with a little bit of you know a little bit of tenacity and a little bit of you know intelligent circuiting you can eventually find out that actually this one paper by Rao and fuller in 2018 showed um they looked at the ph of the extracts of coffee that is coffee that was literally brewed hot yep. um, of various origins, including a Brazil, a couple of different Ethiopians, a Myanmar, a Colombia, Mexico. And you look at all of them, actually the pH of the final brew varied widely um, between about 4.8 to 5.1, which is acidic. Right. Um, but whether it was hot or cold, there was almost you know no difference between the origins. Well, there was some difference. There was about 16% difference. It was slightly lower in acidity. Yeah. But some origins had a reverse trend. So when you brew it cold versus when you brew it hot, sometimes a cold brew came out with lower acidity. Oh, sorry, a lower pH. Right. That is a higher acidity. Oh, I hate saying the things like this. <laughs> well, I know, it, 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 mm. it's so confusing. The lower the number, the higher yeah, the Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's right. So Golf. a lower pH value is a higher acidity. Let's just use the term acidity. It was sort of a, you know, on average, yes, there was an 18% lower acidity with the coffee brewed cold. But it was almost nothing in it, and it varied so significantly by origin, you'd almost hazard to say they're almost identical. So we come into the variables. Yeah, that's it. But then that's the other thing people are saying. So I think we concluded sort of like, well, the thing is, a strawberry's got a pH of two. Is anyone saying that <laughs> we should be stopping drinking strawberries? It's like, well, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Almost guarantee that someone is definitely telling you to. Okay, not probably not. I love strawberries, but I mean that's the thing, though, right? Your body is so full of buffers. I mean, there's a whole trend now towards alkaline waters. Alkaline's better for you. Alkaline, alkaline, alkaline. Uh, alkaline cold brew. Yeah, alkaline cold brew, even right. Mm. And it's sort of like, is it better for your body? It, it you know, it brings your body back to its normal pH level. And as far as I can understand from the stuff I've read from physicians and various yeah. other researchers in the world, your body is so jam packed with buffers 
that you know you you can eat stuff like strawberries around the clock and you'll generally be okay. I don't know how many strawberries it would take to lower your body's yeah. pH by a factor of one. Maybe a bit of heartburn. <laughs> but, huh? A bit of heartburn, but that's probably just from maybe eating, a bit of heartburn. Just from only eating strawberries. Maybe also just your body will eventually reject yeah. it when it doesn't need it anymore, right? Your body's pretty good at yeah. detecting sensory overload, yeah. apart from with you know fried chips like fried chicken and things. I like feel that. like it's one of those things but, that um, I've seen where people. Um, say stuff like if your body changes its yeah. homeostatic like pH by a point one of a degree or something then you're dead so yeah I'm not sure like about something that. extreme like that like and yeah then, so yeah yeah it's a, so I think it's a little bit crazy to suggest that something that's got such a small difference in pH is going to really affect your your actual health yeah nothing that we saw yeah you know, maybe it does it maybe not I'm not actually an expert in that it's just what we've seen so in yeah. terms of the difference of pH between hot and cold brew coffee there's very little in it there's a bit in it yeah. Um, I should also mention that pH, by the way, when you do the numbers, is a log scale. So it's not a 16% difference in a log scale, which is actually reasonably large. Mm. 16%, 16% difference when you take it out of the pH scale. So okay. when you make it log to linear. Anyway, those people that can do the calculation, you can you so can know. From a 0 to 1 rather yeah, than... Yeah, right, 0 to 1 rather than 0 to 100. So yeah. does that make sense? So it's yeah. not, you know... Or 0 to 14. Yeah, where, you know, zero, the difference between 1 and 2 is actually a factor of 100. Yeah. Um, you convert it back down with the difference between 0 and 100 is actually 0 to 100 is only 16% difference yep yeah okay um, sure. it's it just yeah that's the save way save that for the math yeah you can you feel free to reach out to our <laughs> yeah if, no, seriously feel free to reach out by email if you wanted to detail the calculation a couple of people actually did and we published our blog about it ah. um, so you know they did and I, I gave them the calculation like ah oh, okay cool so someone else said it was all good yeah I'm pretty sure it was all good cool mm. um, the other thing is also with hot and cold brew um, people were saying that oh you know the other thing is you know, oh, that's right. No, it was cold brew. Cold brew has less antioxidants than hot brew. So this is the goes the other end where people say actually cold brew is not as good for you because it's got less antioxidants. Right. Um, which is true, actually. Hot coffee holds a twenty percent higher antioxidant activity than cold brew counterpart. Huh. Um, and that goes for all origins, and that makes a lot of sense. Antioxidants are extracted only really at high temperature water. And it's actually some of the research that I've done indicates that as well. Right. Um, and so actually, yeah, you do find that quite, you know, on a consistent basis it is. Now, is that 20% enough to give you a health benefit? I don't know. It would seem that more antioxidants are better in generally. In general, sorry. In general, yeah. um, From what we that, understand. Huh? From what we understand. From what we understand, if, you know, everyone is to be believed, and I, you know, probably say they are. <laughs> so I guess hot brew coffee for you in that sense may or may not be better for you. I'd suggest maybe it is. More antioxidants seem better. Yeah. But there you go. The final one was, is cold brew better for your gut health? And they reckon, actually, that's what they thought pH was better. If you have a lower pH, sorry, if you have a lower acidity, so a high pH, um, if you have a lower acidity, it's better for your gut health. And... I don't think there's any sort of, apart from saying there's very little difference in acidity anyway, right? It's probably if cold brew is better for your gut, it may actually not be due to that. So I think they were suggesting that when you extract coffee cold, there may or may not actually be a slightly higher polysaccharide content, that is natural sugars extracted from the coffee just by nature of the fact that it's colder and over a longer period of time. Right. Well, it simply may not actually extract many of the other things which are and that's the other extracted thing. when it's Correct. hot. And there may be actual less toxins extracted as well because some of those you know, things we're talking about before, the benzenes, the toluenes, the xanthines, anthracenes, all those poly, what they call polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, um, that's what they're called. That's just the terminology. <laughs> you just got to live with it. Um, you know, those things that may or may not be carcinogenic, those things actually aren't extracted as high, in as high a quantity at those temperatures. The solubility is literally lower. It has to be, and it is. In cold. In cold. Yeah, when extracted cold. Right. And I think but they were saying specifically with the polysaccharides, according to the Korean Department of Food Science and Biotechnology, which seems like a pretty reputable place to get some information from. They also they, love their cold brew. They do love their cold brew, and that's probably why they did the research. <laughs> they were saying the crude polysaccharide or sugar extract in cold brew stimulated the macrophage functions, 
that is the bad cell destroying cells in our bodies so it stimulated them so there's actually more of them present so they're capable of fighting toxic other materials a lot lot better interesting yeah so that's what they claimed and so you know it's interesting but I don't think we think you know I don't know if I'd recommend cold brew over hot brew I think you just drink the one that you like yeah (laughs) that was our conclusion I don't think there's much benefit either way yeah Um, typically seasonally yeah yeah, I think just drink it. Yeah, if it's cold. If it's hot, you feel like a cold brew. Drink a cold brew. Yeah. You're more than welcome to. We yeah. say thumbs up. <laughs> it's got so, the the C sex seal of approval. It does. It does. And drink, we made drink one. what you like. Yeah, that's right. Drink what you like. Drink <laughs> when it comes to coffee. Drink more or less what you like. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable conclusion yeah. to reach. Just like with wine, mm. whiskey. Mm. Cool. Um, I think I don't know if we could cover any more topics. There is one more. It, there is one more. There is All one right. more. And that is about when is it too early to drink coffee. Uh, at what age? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We well, I was going to say, when is it too late to drink coffee? Oh, when is it too late to drink? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, that's actually this is related, actually, Julian. So we can cover both of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are, there are uh, people staying up to all hours of the day. Yeah, and night, probably. Yeah. Um, and drinking coffee, and then finding it difficult to get to sleep uh, or stay asleep, and getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, kind of thing. Uh, and therefore not getting the quality yeah. of sleep that they were used to only a short few yep. years ago. Yep, so this is the idea of caffeine being a stimulant, probably also combined with the fact that the light from the TV actually stimulates certain pathways in your and brain to actually stay awake. At the same time. And the diuretic nature, which is a completely separate... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's that aspect of it. So sleep is actually the biggest thing, and this is the same for younger kids as well. So some people say, you know, 12 is okay. Some people say 14 is okay to drink coffee. Some people let people drink coffee. I actually don't think coffee is necessarily the worst thing for that age. I think V and energy drinks and Red Bull might oh, be the absolutely. bigger the yeah. bigger problem with They're all the extreme caffeine of levels. Sugar and caffeine. Now, the caffeine is an issue, so that's the thing. Salt. I think it turns out that um, so the re- so one of the reasons people don't want kids or younger people, younger adults, young kids to drink coffee is because when you sleep, so your brain is basically still going through development. Your brain is still growing um, at those ages. And they were saying at later stage of adolescence, the brain does a thing called synaptic pruning, which I basically understand it. And I think, you know, I wouldn't say layman's term, but basically brain optimization, cutting out the things that you don't need, making stronger links to things that you do. And that happens mm. generally during sleep. Um, and it actually only specifically occurs during deep sleep. And that's the thing. I've off- and it's def- there's definite conclusive evidence to show that caffeine reduces the con- the quantity and quality of deep sleep. In fact, you may or may not actually get deep sleep when you have caffeine. Um, and if that happens, the brain wasn't won't optimize. And so, because pruning begins more or less around the age of twelve and continues into someone's well until actually well into someone's twenties, apparently, right. um, begs yeah. the question: Should you be drinking so much caffeine that you're losing sleep even well into your twenties? Yeah. Um, but I think if I think based on these medical things that I've read, they're saying if someone's if an adolescent is getting at least nine hours, nine and a half hours of sleep per night, mm. and they're drinking a cup of coffee in the morning, that's probably fine. There's no need to worry about it. Caffeine having a, an eight-hour half-life. Yeah, assuming that they're not uh, like overly sensitive, like some people can. Be, yeah, but um, the, yeah, but that's the thing. It's not just caffeine doing it. I mean, someone could just stay awake all night doing various other things as well and have it. It's not just responsible yeah, caffeine. And, you know, you, like, but. You, you tend know. like if you work in hospitality or you, and you work nights at a restaurant, you're a chef or something. You're probably drinking coffee up until all hours. And yeah, exactly. You're just probably, to stay awake. Yeah, then you go into work early in the morning. Yeah. So I imagine that like same yeah. with schooling too. Yeah, staying up to do homework and then getting up to catch the bus in the morning could probably have a bigger effect yeah. on you than whether you have a cappuccino or but a mocha. It, but as the they say, you know, it may be a, the the thing may actually in this case be deep sleep. So if you're actually not getting enough deep sleep and caffeine's actually affecting that, whether or not you're getting nine and a half hours, maybe that's the bigger thing to look at. Yeah, and that's the thing that you can kind of tell now with those things that you can wear on your wrists. Wrists. Yeah, the smart watches, eye watches, and, and smart yeah, yeah, yeah. watches, and Fitbits and such. Yeah. 
Um, but from what I can tell, from what I read, it seems like if you're older than 27, drink as much as you want. Okay. Um, in fact, three to, five, <laughs> three, to f- three to five cups apparently can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease. I wasn't waiting for permission, but I'm glad I have it now. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I generally find I can't drink coffee after 12 o'clock during the day. I don't know why. My body yeah. just can't take it. Even if I had no coffee before 12. Yeah, you know, like on a Friday, I will tend to drink coffee later in the day because I know I don't have to go to bed as early. Mm. Um, and I will just drink it if I feel like I want one. And then you don't really have any obvious consequences when I get home, but potentially mm. it could be. Um, explaining some lack of sleep recently. Mm. Um, on the diuretic thing... Uh, a UK study of men who regularly drank coffee in 2014. Um, so it was only on men um, and they were already coffee drinkers. Um, so it was... Probably some tolerance there already. Yeah, some, some men who had four 200 mil cups of coffee a day. I don't know if that's espresso or what. Versus uh, men who had four 200 mil cups of water instead. Uh, didn't seem to have any different levels of hydration. Um, well, that's issue, good news. The issue being that maybe those men had Ooh. already built up a tolerance um, to the effects and that if you're not a regular coffee drinker, it could have a more increased effect. Obviously, if you only do a study on males, that doesn't necessarily uh, affect mm. or co- yeah, correlate to the whole population. Oh, it's a, it's a, okay. I mean, oh, maybe I shouldn't go into it, but I think there is a, there is a, a, a reason why you do the study on men, not just not men and women, over a long period of time. Yeah, because of the monthly cycle of things. Fair. It actually has an impact on the way the body actually reacts to a whole lot of different things. So that's oftentimes why it's only done on men. Yeah, just because it can more correct. Mind you, there are other studies that say various other things, and that's not necessarily meant to be a, a what's the word I am. Um, a bias thing it's not a superiority thing or anything like that it's just a simple e for ease of study yeah effectively yeah mm. having clean results but not necessarily yeah useful. things that can't be altered by things and those you know those things can differ widely mind you doesn't mean that a large study shouldn't include them for various reasons but mm. well certainly the information trying to which, isolate is, the effect. which is being you know thrown out there at, at you know average consumers mm. all the time has resulted in the past year in the UK alone over a million coffee drinkers converting to uh, to decaf mm. uh, particularly those using instant mm. at home yeah right distinct from in cafes so the, decaf you know, instant mm. uh, so there's no doubt that uh, you know that, that uh, what's being put out there is is having quite a significant effect mm. yeah or, good or bad is another matter people mm. enjoying the taste and having it after dinner and having a decaf rather. Well, it also relates, of course, to the fact that instant coffee uh, and decaf coffee in particular, it tends to taste a lot better today than it did 5, 10, 15, mm, 20 years ago yeah. mm. uh, for various reasons, including obviously the way in which it's actually processed. Yeah. yeah. And baristas are getting better, I think, in general. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about that. <laughs> You're like, that's a topic for another time. Just listing, bar- just listing yeah. off the baristas in your yeah. life in your head, like, mm, Josh, maybe, Tom, maybe, mm, my local, uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but the cafe trade will be happy to know that something like three to four cups of coffee a day may well reduce the risk of dying from heart disease and various other things compared with those who drink none. Yeah. So they say. Apparently. Currently. Yeah, I just please define how much is define the cup of coffee for me. Two hundred mils of coffee. It's probably a filter coffee. Yeah, but like, 
you know, what cost? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what was the ratio difference. they used? Yeah. How much cost? How much? You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, that's not for me to say. I don't have a degree in anything. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's coffee. That's coffee and health. Uh, as always, if you have any questions for us, email us at podcast at sevenmiles.com.au. Um, it's, it's very quiet. I would like people, you don't even have to ask a question. Just be like, hey, hey, Josh, Adam, Julian, love the work, hate the work, whatever. It's fine. We're going to take it. Don't worry. I'll reply, maybe. Mm. Um, oh, you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't solicit us. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, yeah so any questions also check us out on Instagram and Facebook 7 Miles Coffee Roasters check out our uh, articles as well that Adam writes about things like cold brew and stuff um, on the 7 Miles website as well um, yeah and thank you all for listening thank Say you bye. bye it's been good fun mm. Mm.